Good morning. No, it's okay. Keep going. It's okay. Uh, good morning. It's really great to see you on this fine, uh, foggy day. I don't know about you, but this is actually like this three weeks right now is basically my favorite uh, time of year. I love um, when we wake up and it's cold and foggy, but um, gets a little sunny in the day, uh, and it's not always just miserable. After Christmas, I can't stand it until summer, but right now, I'm good to go. Uh, it's great to see you all. Uh, my name is Bob. I am uh, one of the occasional head talking heads up here, and today, if you've got a Bible uh, or a phone or whatever, or you just want to read it, we're going to be in John chapter 11 uh, the entire time, so you can head there um, while you flip there or wait for the screens to pop up. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord, I'm just... I'm grateful that I get to stand here, and uh, it is absolutely not about how I've prepared. It is absolutely not about how clever I can be. It is about what you've said through your disciples and your word and what you want to say this morning through your Holy Spirit for every single person in this room. It might have nothing to do with what comes out of my mouth. It just might be an impression you push on someone's heart. So I'm really grateful that it's not about me or how well I can do this. Um, it's really about what you want to do in our lives, including me as I even stand here and engage your word. So um, I pray that you would do good work uh, here this morning in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in a series. This is week three of a series called Miracles. Uh, this is a tough topic um, because if, if you're a theist, if you will, like if you're, especially if you're a Christian and you follow Jesus and you believe in, in the God of the Bible, Uh, You believe that God spoke and everything came to be. So uh, miracles is a hard topic because we believe in a God that spoke the cosmos into existence, basically with the snap of a finger. And yet, here I am, and I've got some sort of cold or whatever. My voice has been in and out for a few days. I have prayed that God would fix it, just just fix it. Even as I was worshiping, I'm like, I love the fact that I'm worshiping a God where right now as I'm singing, my voice could be filled out and I could sing completely. And he apparently said, no, not yet. Not yet. That's why this is a hard topic because it's not a question of is God able to do any of the miracles that we talk about or think about or want or desire. It actually gets to the question of why Why does God say yes sometimes? Why does he say no sometimes? It really comes down, the the reason for me anyway why it's a tough topic is it comes down to what is God's agenda with miracles, with his will, with the the miraculous, how he engages us, how he chooses sometimes to not engage us or or to to make things play out a little longer. So um, it's a tough topic and the question I want to uh, engage today, this morning is, what is God's agenda concerning miracles? Um, this isn't going to be like an overview where I have 12 points about miracles and I try to hit it from every angle. It's more just going to be me walking through one story in John chapter 11, which is the story of Lazarus, and we're just going to see what's in that one story. So this is, I will admit, one perspective, one story of how uh, God did miracles in this, this man and this family's life. So let's start with John 11 chapter 1, and we'll just start plowing through. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
I'm going to kind of hit pause of, I'm going to drive you nuts because we're going to read like a sentence and I'm going to say, ooh, that was interesting and I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Um, the first thing that's interesting is this is, this is very rooted in history. This isn't like, hey, once upon a time there was a man who was sick and there, just, there was a God who decided to do something about it. It was a certain man named Lazarus. Which one? Oh, the one from Bethany. Which Bethany? Because there are a couple in, in ancient Israel. Uh, it's the one where Mary and her sister Martha lived. So this is an actual story. This is history, it's, it, that, and that's amazing. Uh, verse two, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It's that Mary, because there are a lot of Marys. Jesus' mom was named Mary. So it's like, that's the Mary, the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So... The sisters sent to Jesus, to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So, so here's the situation. There are two sisters, obviously in this village called Bethany, and their brother is very, very sick. And you have to remember, this is back when there was no hospital there wasn't even electricity. So I mean, th that's a desperate situation when you're two sisters, you're with your brother, there's no doctor to call, there's no paramedic, there's no 911, there's nothing like that. It's, we're gonna do our best to like keep you warm and well hydrated and that's about all we can do for you. And the idea pops in their mind, we could go get Jesus. He is the one who could take care of this. But what just happened in this story, if you read chapter 10, is uh, Bethany, where they lived, is about two miles away from Jerusalem. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at that time in chapter 10, he did some things that made the, the religious leaders very angry, and they tried to stone him to death. So Jesus and the disciples decided, this isn't the place we really want to be right now. So they decided to leave the area altogether and they went to, we think it's Bethany beyond the Jordan. Is, um, it's where John was baptizing at the beginning is how it says. And I tried reading where in the world is that and all the smart Bible people said it's either right on the other side of the Jordan, which is about 40 miles away from what we're talking about, or it's way further north on the other side of the Jordan and it's like a four-day walk to get back to where Bethany near Jerusalem was. Or, uh, yeah, this, this village Bethany was. So all to say, the situation is these two sisters need a miracle. They, they need Jesus to come and, uh, and take care of uh, their, their brother. But Jesus is at least minimum two days away because he's on the other side of the Jordan is what it says um, just before this story. Uh, so the sisters sent to him uh, and they say, he whom you love so this is a really interesting thing. They know that for Jesus to come back into this area of Judea is a very dangerous thing. So they send to him and they say, he whom you love is ill, which means they are standing in a place in their life where they have this confidence and this rest in the fact that Jesus himself loves that family and they, that Jesus loves Lazarus, which means, to, this is what I would like offer, like just start saying, this is how it starts to even to relate to our life. Immediately in the story, it just gets really applicable. It's a sign of maturity when you approach Jesus, you send for Jesus like they did through prayer or whatever, means you're like reaching out to Jesus and you're doing so in this place where you're in this confidence where you say, 
the one whom you love is ill, or the one whom you love uh, needs work, or whatever it might be, and especially if you're looking at it through the lens of, I need this, and I have no question about it. You absolutely love me. That's a sign of uh, maturity that they're approaching Jesus in this way. And so Jesus' response is pretty amazing. He heard it. He's days away from them, and he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for. Those words, it is for. That's fascinating to, to me because that means that this sickness has a reason. It's not random. It's not just something that happened and God is just going to make the most of it. It means it was planned. It had a purpose. There is an agenda behind it. This sickness is for the glory of God, the, the magnifying of the glory of God so everyone can see it even better. Um, so it has a purpose and that purpose is the glory of God. Um, which means when you think about miracles and what is God's agenda with miracles, right off the bat, he gives us at least one. The agenda with miracles, whether he's gonna do it or not, is the glory of God. It's not centered on us. Not, it doesn't, and we'll get to how it actually uh, it, it impacts us and it's amazing for us, but the agenda behind the miraculous is the glory of God. So it has a purpose. It is for the glory of God. Uh, this passage has been super helpful for me lately um, because my, my it, right? So it is for the glory of God. My it lately, and I'm gonna overlay this, this story throughout the whole time this morning is, um, and you all, if you've been here for a while, you know um, this because I've mentioned it, but the thing that I've been like just begging Jesus for help lately is this, uh, this training that I've got to go to for the army. You, most of you know this, um, but I've got to go to this training for five and a half months. So that's all fine and dandy. I've got three kids, and uh, so that's pretty awful, right? But then you add the element that my wife is going to have another baby. Number four is on the way, which means there is a ticking time bomb happening here. Uh, and the army training is about five and a half months, and the thing for me that I keep approaching Jesus saying, I need a miracle because working with the army is awful um, trying to schedule things. Um, I need, I just feel like I need to get back before baby's born, right? Because it would be pretty terrible to not. So for me to get that, I had to leave in September. At the end of September, for me to get the training done, I had to leave at the end of September. So as we were approaching that, I kept... Like they did, I kept sending for Jesus. I had all sorts of people praying, Lord, please let me go, or get me out of the army or something. I'll chop off my foot. They won't want me marching if I don't have a foot. I need to get home for this baby. Uh, and September came, and then it passed. And then it was, okay, all right, I can see why you would do that. Or maybe someday I'll see why you would do that. Uh, <laughs> October, there's one, there's a class a month. And so I kept sending for Jesus and kept doing, like that's been my it lately. Like this is the thing I feel like I need. Uh, it's not even a huge miracle. It's just the thing on my brain. So as we talk through this, and we'll talk about that more, but I think each of us in this room probably have an it, right? Like maybe it's not right now. Maybe it's something you've thought about in the past. Uh, or maybe it's an, an issue you face, something that you needed a miracle. But when you engage the Bible, I hope that you don't just look for like interesting things and stuff, but you start to say, how does this actually impact those deep things that I'm, I'm walking through? So for me, I'm looking at this story and I'm thinking, 
okay, this is, that's their thing. How does, how does this overlay on top of my thing? And I hope the same thing um, can happen for you as you just get in that in your mind. What is that, that it for me? So with that in mind, we'll keep going and see how it plays out. Um, in verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So they send for Jesus and say, he whom you love is ill. John, the apostle who wrote this, as he was inspired, who wrote it, even clarifies it, just so everyone is very certain of it, and says in verse five, Jesus did, in fact, love Martha, her sister. I don't know why he didn't say Mary, but he said her sister, and Lazarus. And then he says, so, this is mind-blowing to me. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, or you could say, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed. He stayed three days away. He loved them. So what did he do about it? He stayed three days away. He didn't do anything. He kept doing what he was doing three days away because, because he loved them. That's amazing, because the alternative is, the story seems like it should have went, he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, so he found the nearest camel, he stole that thing, and he rode as fast as he could, he got there in a day and a half, even though it usually takes two days, and then he healed Lazarus, and everybody was in awe. That, the story could have played out that way, and you know what I would have done this morning? I would have stood up here, I would have read that story, and I would have said, because that's what love does. When you, when you got to love someone, you hop on the nearest camel and you get there quick. And here are four points of how you get there quick. That's how we would preach it, right? Like that's how it would work out. But instead, he loved them, so he stayed. So we've already covered the ground that says this, this illness doesn't lead to death. It is for a purpose. It is for the glory of God. And motivating that whole thing is his love for this family, so he decides to stay. Those two things are linked the, the fact that this is going to play out for God's glory and the fact that he loved them so much that he would stay, those two things are, are integral to, to one another. The context here is actually helpful. I was uh, talking to uh, someone that goes here to Arbor. His name is Phil, and we are having this conversation about this stuff, um, and it was awesome. And he cued me in on to, to go research. Um, there was this old, like, rabbinic uh, belief um, that's, that where they believed that when someone died back then, I don't know where they got this, but when someone died, they believed that the soul of the person would linger over the body for three days. And then at any moment in those three days, the body and the soul could reunite. Apparently it didn't really happen all that often, but they believed that that's what was going on. So for him to say, I want this to play out for the glory of God, so that people can experience it to the most. And because I love them, I'm not going to go save the day right away. At least this is what I was reading all over the place, is probably because there was a widespread belief that that soul was just waiting to reunite with the body for the first three days. And for some reason, God wanted this to be a decisive miracle, not one of those questionable, you know, half miracles. Like for me, I could have prayed this morning, Lord, my voice is, I'm 13 again, all right? I don't like that. Uh, And he could have made me better this morning 
And we could have all sat here and went, yeah, that's cool. He probably helped you. You also took like a gallon of DayQuil um, and you've been well hydrated. So I don't know, maybe. Yeah, God probably helped you a little bit. I wouldn't say that's a miracle, right? That's kind of like, just kind of questionable. It seems like God or Jesus is trying to avoid that situation altogether. He wants this thing to be like, he wants to blow people's minds with the glory of God and how he's going to play this story out. Uh, So, um, with that, here's what I I want to, to offer up, I guess. I want us to try on, because, because it's love that's motivating him, and it's for the glory of God, which seems almost self-serving of God. Like, his goal in this, his agenda, is to glorify himself, and he's, he's going to do something in the life of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha that is very difficult for them. He's going to wait for a couple days. That seems super self-serving, like it's all about God's glory, and who cares what happens to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, in a way. But what I want to do is I want to offer a new definition of love. Um, I want you to consider a newer and an updated definition of love. So rather than love being anything that just meets the immediate needs of someone around you right now, it just meets their need or something like that, I want you to consider that the the actual, truer, like, definition of love um, could be more like something, or more like love is whatever helps someone enjoy God's glory the most. Love is whatever helps someone enjoy God's glory the most. That's whether God is loving us or whether we're loving each other. For him to just jump right in the story and save Lazarus before he dies, yes, that is absolutely love, and he does that to other people many times. But if it's true that love is whatever helps people experience the glory of God the most, for Jesus to actually wait and put them through torture for a few days, and we'll read how many days it was, actually might be the truer expression of love because he knows that this is what's going to lead to them experiencing the glory of God even more than him just taking care of business right at the beginning. And that same definition of love is true for us. Yeah, you could meet this person's need and take care of them, you know, right here and right now. But if you're doing something that robs them, maybe from a more difficult path for a while, but it robs them of experiencing God more throughout the duration of the story, then perhaps you're not loving them as much as if you let it play out so they experience God's glory the most. So with that, we'll, we'll see if it pl- plays, plays out true. So uh, we'll keep going. Verse seven. Then after this, So he's waiting. It says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And that's this region where they're at, Bethany and Jerusalem, all that good stuff. Uh, Verse eight, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you there. And are you, you're going there again. So they realize the danger of going back to that region. Uh, And they're thinking to themselves, yeah, we do. We like Lazarus. We really like Mary and Martha, but they're probably thinking to themselves, we have seen you heal people from a distance. We have seen you say to the, I think it was a centurion, hey, your son's going to be well. And he was miles away and that son was well. Valid option, Jesus. How about we don't do that? Um, 
But then we're going to skip a couple verses because he talks about working in the day, working. The, he's, Jesus is basically saying, no, it's go time. We're going to skip those verses for time's sake. And we're going to go to verse 14. It says, then Jesus told them, his disciples, plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, the disciples' sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Lazarus has died at this point in the story. And Jesus knows that. And he tells his disciples that he's actually glad about it because he knows that what's about to happen is going to absolutely blow their minds and he knows that that is going to help them believe. So again, if we're asking the question, what is God's agenda concerning miracles? It's the glory of God. It's motivated by the love of God. And it is for belief. It is for Even if it's hard, if it's impossible, it is for, in this case, he's saying to his disciples, it's so that you may believe. So then he says, now let us go to them. So again, just coming back to to my, the thing that, my it, right? Uh, Me leaving in September would have got me back a week before baby was born. Not only that, but uh, with this particular army training that I was gonna go to, uh, you come home for Thanksgiving, um, you get some leave for that, and you come home for Christmas. So for me and my agenda, I'm thinking to myself, I always try to do things easy, like efficient. I'm an operations director in my job. I try to do everything efficiently because I am lazy, super lazy. Uh, and I try to get everyone else to be lazy and do systems that can let us all be lazy and drink coffee together. Um, <laughs> that's my goal in life. So I'm thinking, okay, army training, when could I schedule that so it's easiest on my family? Well, if I have it in September, not only do I get back in time for baby, but I also get to come home at the middle point for Christmas. Holy smokes, that would be awesome. It would like split the whole thing in two. My family would get to see me and then there'd be like a you know, race to the finish afterwards. That's amazing. Um, so then September comes and September goes. And my unit says, nope, we didn't get you in, all that stuff. Well, two weekends ago, I was at drill because I'm in the National Guard, it's just part-time. Um, and my training NCO, great guy, come, walks up to me and says, hey, sir, I have an apology for you. And I'm like, okay, what's this? And he says, uh, come to find out, I actually did get you into September. And now it's three weeks past. I was on leave, and I actually didn't see the email. I had so many, so many emails when I got back. I, it was buried. I didn't see it, and I'm really sorry. In my mind, what I did... <laughs> This is probably what I looked like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, what I did was, uh, yeah, I, I broke things and I was bad, okay? <laughs> uh, so I'm like, okay, I am supposed to be gone. And then he adds the caveat, hey, insert, not to worry you or anything, but this is going to come back to bite you real hard because you were technically AWOL for three weeks. And I didn't tell him that you weren't. Um, so... He said, don't worry, it's also going to come back to bite me. And I said, okay, Sergeant, (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. Uh, And he said, so when when, we're going to try to get you into November, or I mean uh, October, um, but no promises because I think that class is full too. Uh, So he said, when you get there, whenever you get there, I'm thinking January at this point, um, he said, they're going to destroy you. Now I'll... I don't want to go too far into this because who cares, but my name is Robert E. Lee. That is my legal name. I am an officer in the army. I am going to Missouri. 
where they know Robert E. Lee. <laughs> so the name is on the roster, and they're saying, all right, stand up, Robert E. Lee. Oh, he's not here? Oh, who? He's AWOL. Okay, Robert E. Lee. That name is not going to escape them, right? So I'm going to get there, and they're going to say, you're Robert E. Lee? And I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to get destroyed for five and a half months. So, again, what I'm doing here is I'm looking at this story, and I'm filled with, like, this angst, right, about this training, because at this point, Um, It finally became official. I am leaving for the November class. It's happening. I leave in two and a half weeks, and I get back April 25th. That's eight weeks after baby is born. Every time I think about that, literally, like I get this pit in my stomach to think about my wife waking up in the middle of the night with a baby and three small kids, and she's got to take care of it, and I am 2,500 miles away getting destroyed, um, but way happier probably. Like, it's just, like, eating me alive. But then there's this thing. I'm, I'm telling you how this played out for me. And this is, it's been super, super helpful for me. Because what I've done is I've recently, because I've gotten to engage this so much, is I've read this, and I've literally said, how does this overlay on our life? I have sent to Jesus. I needed, not a miracle, I needed a pretty simple one. I just needed a yes. I needed a date. And he decided, it seems... It seems like, and here's how, what I'm trusting is he said, Jesus said, I love Ruth and I love Bob and I love their kids. This thing isn't going to play out the way they want it to play out. It is going to play out for my glory. And here's what I really think happened. I think he said, I love them and then wait. I'm going to make them wait two months. He even got, I even got the date. I got September, and it seems like he shut that door and said, nope, we're going to make you wait the two months. And here's, it's not resolved yet. It's going to be super hard. It's going to be like, it's a dark cloud coming closer and closer and closer for us. But here is how I'm telling you, I, I, I believe that Jesus is engaging this, and that's, I think this is why the story plays out this way, is to say this is how it works. He says, I am going to wait. I'm going to put you through a different path, the one that you wouldn't choose. Your agenda would never choose. But the way it's going to play out is you are going to experience things with God that you would never experience if he just took care of it for you. If he just showed up and healed Lazarus before he was even sick, it would be great. But they would not experience a tenth of what they're going to experience by letting the story play out. And I think the same is true for our family. This is going to put us in a place where we are going to be desperate for God and for the Holy Spirit to carry us through. We're gonna be desperate for the church, to be the church for our family. Even though we're trying to, like, so hard to not be needy and stuff like that. He's gonna break that down in a hurry. This whole thing, I think, isn't because he's impotent. It's not because he can't do things. I think he's saying, no, it is for a reason. I'm going to make the Lees experience this because in the end, I'm going to be magnified when they tell the story about how God loved them through it and did miraculous things through that really trying period of time. Does that make sense? Whatever the it is for you, a lot of times, Jesus isn't just going to say, yep, let's take care of this right now. He is sometimes, and it's awesome when he does. But a lot of times, he's going to say, we're going to take the longer route on this one and he's going to walk you through something hard, and it's going to be just as miraculous. And in the end, he's going to receive even more glory, and that's a really uh, really good and powerful thing. So that's how it's playing out for me. 
don't let there be a wall here. That's how it's playing out for you too. It's, it's the same sort of situation with God. He's good, even if it doesn't seem like it. Even if that love doesn't seem like love, it really, uh, really is. Uh, let's keep, keep going. So verse 16 says, so Thomas, so, so remember, they've basically said, hey, we don't really want to go back there because they're going to try to kill you. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now, quick pause. Thomas, what is his nickname usually? Thomas the Doubter. What in the world did we call him Thomas the Doubter for? It's Thomas the Courageous. Like, Thomas, let's go and die with Jesus. He asked one question like a few chapters later and we call him the Doubter for the rest of eternity. How about we call him Thomas the Courageous because he's the only one who's like, yeah, we're gonna go die with Jesus. That was a side note. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days, Lazarus has been dead. So this is decisive, even in the way that Jews, the, the Jewish leaders believed that death happened. So now in their belief, the, the spirit is gone. Lazarus, there is no coming back. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Bethany, I've heard, I've never been there, but when I was reading up on it, they said that uh, Bethany is really close to Jerusalem. It's two miles off because the path to get there is crazy. But it feels like like Bethany is on top of Jerusalem, like on the side of a hill. That's what I read. I've never seen it. Um, So it's like super, super close, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother's death. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. There's a part of me that reads that and I'm like, oh, Mary, oh, feisty, okay. Jesus is coming and you're just gonna stay seated, all right. And then I got to reading and it turns out there is another like custom there. Context is super helpful. The story is still great even if you don't know it, but um, apparently when someone dies in your family, uh, the, the immediate family would stay in their home for seven days, except for when they went to the tomb to mourn. It was just custom. Like, that's what everyone did. They stayed, they were in their house. They didn't leave for anything. Otherwise, people just took care of them or came and, and you know, uh, mourned with them in their home. But it was like the rule. You stay in your house for the first seven days. So actually, it's kind of interesting. It was Mar- or, uh, Martha who ran out of the house, who's like, I don't care about rules, and she just runs and, and goes and meets with Jesus. So I don't think Mary's necessarily showing disrespect or like anything like that. Um, she's just following the customs of the day. So it says in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So that's a pretty cool um, declaration of faith, even though you can feel in it this tension of like mourning, like she's sad, like, ah, if you wouldn't have been here, you wouldn't have died, but I know that even now. Um, So it's kind of this mixed bag, pretty cool. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she's looking forward saying, yeah, I know, but I'm, it's, you can almost feel it. It's like, yeah, I know he'll raise again, but it's so far removed like, yeah, I believe it, and there's some comfort there. But, ah, uh, like, this, that's a rough thing to know that I'm gonna have to wait that long. So Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says those first two words, I am. Who else says that? 
I am. In the Old Testament, that's how God identifies himself, I am. This statement, is he's not just saying, you know, the whatever it's, our vocabulary says, those are called a subject and a something else, I am. <laughs> that means something. Like for him to say that, he'll get, he, he, it's happened before, they've tried to stone him for saying those words. So he's stepping up to Mary and saying, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, I am Yahweh. I am one with him. I, that's who I am. I am the resurrection. I'm the embodiment of resurrection. I am the embodiment of life. You're, you're not just waiting for a future thing. Like it's standing here, right here, uh, right here, right now with you. And then he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So in a sense, even though we're all going to die, in a sense, it's not really dying. He's, he's saying whoever believes, it's, it's resurrection and it's continued life forever um, with him. And then he says, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. So I'm gonna actually skip a lot of my notes just for time's sake and kind of start wrapping up. And, um, but here's one thing, even from that paragraph, that uh, I think could be real helpful faith sometimes means that you're believing, like she's even wrestling with it. Yeah, I believe. I believe you're the Christ. You're the one coming through. You're the son of God. But sometimes faith means you're believing even as you're crying and, and as you're questioning and wrestling. Like it's okay for faith to take on that sort of uh, feel like inside of you. Faith isn't always like triumphant and just, uh, you know, this whole thing where you're just walking through life and just finding joy in every moment and, and all that stuff. Sometimes faith is going to Jesus and saying, if you would have been here, if you would have said yes, my brother wouldn't even be dead. But I still believe in you. Those two things right now seem kind of far apart. And I trust that they'll come back together and that you're, you know, it's all going to make sense. But you can almost see the tension here. She's saying, yeah. I, I know that resurrection is later, but right now this just sucks. So when you think about the miraculous and stuff like that, you just have to know that God's agenda through it, yeah, it's God's glory and it's motivated by love and he's trying to build up your belief in things. But the way the story goes, it just sometimes, it's just sometimes really hard. The, w- the way this story plays out is it, and I'm sorry I keep sniffing in your ear here. It says that, uh, Jesus comes and he talks to Mary and then it says that he's looking around um, and he sees her weeping. This is verse 33 and he sees the Jews with her also weeping and it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved and greatly troubled which I've read a better translation would be outraged and shaken up. This isn't just deeply moved like, oh, yeah, like this, oh, it's so sad. What the word is, is he saw her and he saw everyone mourning over this and he stood there and in him, Jesus, he was enraged at what he was seeing. So then, which is amazing to me, so then he turns and he turns to where the tomb is. He says, where did you lay him? This is verse 38. And it was a cave and there was a big stone, it says. And Jesus says, in rage, as he basically steps toe-to-toe with death. And he's just full of this 
this, this rage against this enemy for people whom he loves, and he goes toe-to-toe with death, and he says, remove the stone. And they, the, they even say, but Lord, it's been four days. There's gonna, it's going to be nasty. It says in the King James, but Lord, he shall stinketh. Um, <laughs> and Jesus stands there. It's like a Western, practically. He's standing there full of this... He's shaken up, he's enraged, he's standing toe-to-toe with his nemesis, death, and he says, move the stone. And so they remove the stone, and it says, he didn't just talk, he didn't just walk up to the edge of the, the cave and like whisper in, hey, Lazarus, let's blow their minds. He's there, they're Jew, the Jewish people who came to weep with them, everything, they're near Jerusalem, where he is about to go and die himself. That's the backdrop of the story. He is standing there and it says he cries out. He yells. It, it probably echoed in the canyons nearby and in the cave. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And then all of a sudden, you see this guy come out and it says he's wrapped real tight with these linen cloths. Everyone's, right? And he's, he says, unbind him and let him go, is what Jesus says, which is the picture, the miracle. I think it's the parable of what salvation is. Jesus comes to us, we're dead in our sin, absolutely dead, we're not sick, we're dead in our sin. We cannot resuscitate ourselves, we can't fix ourselves, and he says, whoever, Bob, Ruth, whoever, come out of that bondage and where our eyes are open, we see the light, and that's what, spark, that's what born again means. You don't birth yourself. He says, come out, and it's a miracle when he opens our eyes. Bind him, unbind her. All the things that their life was wrapped up with, the, the bondage, the, the addictions, the stuff like that, it's gonna be a long path, it's gonna be a long journey, but that's what it turns into is miracle of new birth, and then unbind them and let them go in freedom. This story to me is amazing, amazingly helpful, amazingly practical, but it also just helps you to, for me, it helps me to say, okay, I can walk into my it, this training season, this next five and a half months, with a strength that's not my own because I have confidence that he's the one who's sending me there at that time. It's not random, it's not the army's fault. It's God saying, nope, your ticket for Fort Leonard Wood is for November 20th, not September 20th. I can walk into that season with hope because I know that he wants glory out of it and he is going to do it in a way where he gets it and I get to be part of it. So I can walk into the season with strength and with hope. And I can also, I feel like it helps me, I can love people better because I know that if I love them in a way that helps them experience God more, even if it is the harder path, that is a truer love than just taking care of people's needs. So with that, I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna sing a few more songs. Um, And I pray that because of this story, it just allows you to see the miracle that's happened in your life, and that you could sing all the freer and all the louder. So let's pray.